Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. As usual, in studio, Sister Elise van Aert and our lovely producer, Simpiwe. Morning. So, it's um, Men's Health Month, and that's the month of November. And I have invited Dr. Sean Thornley, a general practitioner, um, who specializes in men's mental health or mental health, as well as general practice, um, and we overlap a little bit on the metabolic side and stuff as well. Um, Sean, welcome to our show. Um, I read a shocking statistic this morning, and that is that out of every successful, or out of four every successful suicides, three of them are men. And that to me was scary. Um, Sean, men don't talk about mental health issues. Where do we start creating awareness here? Look, I think we're creating awareness now by having conversations like this. And I think, you know, it comes from a previous generation where mental health was not something you spoke about. It wasn't something that you brought up at the dinner table. It wasn't something that you spoke to your friends about. And it was considered a weakness, you were weak if you had mental health. And we still see that in the older generations. Now, my older patients at my practice, they don't talk about their mental health. They don't, they, they present with symptoms of mental health. They come and see you for, you know, we spoke about from a metabolic side, they come and see you for low testosterone or they come and see you for irritability or they come and see you for sleep problems or appetite changes, but they don't bring up that they're actually feeling anxious and depressed. You know what? I almost actually want to disagree with you. Um, for one simple reason, in my practice, I get them in there and um, very often it's, okay, so why are you here? I don't know my, why my wife made the appointment. Ah, 100%. So yes, that's, that's <laughs> the first one. Um, the second one is usually erectile dysfunction. And uh, often it's low energy, but never um, anxiety, uh, mood swings, irritability, aggression. Sure. That's, so the- I, I don't get that in, in my practice. It's always something else. And if you don't ask the relevant questions, you never get to that. No, and that's the thing. And I think, you know, the, the, the standard model of a general practice is 15 to 20 minute consultations. Someone's got to sit, if you're lucky, you know, so how do you have enough time to probe someone to get out something so complex as mental health? You know, it's, it's one thing taking someone's blood pressure, but how do you tease out someone's childhood, someone's previous traumas uh, and their mental health in a 15 minute? So, I don't believe that that should be the correct model. So we see new patients for an hour at our practice and we see follow-ups for 30 minutes minimal. And I think that's that, that's a better way of doing it. And it gives you a little bit more time to really probe and find out what it is that that person's coming there for. It's a different story if it's an ingrown toenail. But like you say, if it's the wife that's booked the consultation, it's nice to have the partner in the room as well where you can have an open and honest conversation with the person as to what it is that's really going on there. Mm, absolutely. Some P-Web. Mm-hmm. 
black people don't talk about mental health at all. Never mind men talk about mental health. Am I right? Yes. Um, you don't have the time nor the leisure to worry about mental health. And that's like the reality of but it. I also why, why would you say the time or the leisure? Um, because it seems like it's something that you, you can afford once you've made it. It's a... It's it's almost like a very stupid problem. It's but like it's, get over it. Like you know, you're in a car accident, and but it's frowned upon. Yeah, in, in the the black community, because it's, it's not something tangible. It's like get over it. Like you are in a car accident, so two weeks later you should be fine. Like your body's healed, you're fine. Keep it moving. Sister Elise, you wanted to make a comment. I do think. Um, and from an Afrikaans culture, it's also not, it's frowned upon oh, for absolutely. the men of the house to have a Absolutely, uh, especially problem. of uh, men of your generation exactly. and your, your fathers. I'm not and that old, my father <laughs> and so on, yes. <laughs> that, that's a big thing. I mean, um, men aren't allowed to say I'm anxious or I don't feel good I'm depressed, um, and that's a big thing. How do you get them to talk about it? How do you get them to your practice to say, listen, I need help? So I actually think I have a very interesting solution to that, mm -hmm. and it's all got to do with hormones, mm -hmm. specifically testosterone, hmm. for one simple reason. As we get older, the first sign that men think they have low testosterone is when their sexual functioning is being, um, or if their sexual functioning is declining. Mm. For most men, hey, there's something wrong with my testosterone. Now, very interesting, low testosterone levels causes irritability, aggression, Decrease ability to cope with stress. So if we can only get the message out today that if your wife is starting to complain that you're grumpy and moody and irritable and aggressive and you have a decreased sex drive or weaker erections because of low testosterone, your chance of having a mental health disorder like anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, is almost 100%. Okay, I want to ask Sean a question. How many of your patients do you see that gets to your practice already on antidepressants, male specifically, and um, not being investigated for for instance, metabolic disease or low testosterone or... Look, a large, a large proportion of the patients that come to my practice that are on medication already haven't had the, the appropriate blood tests done. And, mm. uh, you know, we are... Look, it costs money, though, and it's a big problem. You know, you can't go to a primary health care facility in, in government without a medical aid and request to have a testosterone level done. So this is very much a, a middle-upper class problem, which is a, a big problem in South Africa. But, you know, if you, if you do have the availability to pay for these tests, then you should be looking at thyroid function, iron, iron deficiency, 
Um, we look vitamin at D. we look at yeah vitamin D. We look at vitamin B. Um, so we're, we're looking from a more functional point of view. What is it that a person's system is supposed to look like, and can we assist them to get there as naturally as possible with a little bit of assistance? If they're vitamin D deficient, for example, boost their vitamin D. If they're vitamin B deficient, is there a secondary cause for them being vitamin B deficient? If they're iron deficient, do they have heavy periods? Do they have hemorrhoids? Is there some underlying gastrointestinal tumor, for example? So it's not just about the depression. You've got to look at mind, body, and soul. Yeah, you know, but what we see in our practice, and I, I, I gather that you have the same, patients have gone from doctor to doctor to specialists, whether it's endocrinologists, gynecologists, uh, psychologists, and when we look at the historical blood tests, these gaps, specifically when it comes to thyroid, when it comes to iron, vitamin D, and when it comes to the sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, in both men and women, all three of them, um, we know that the sex hormones are psychoactive. Um, but, you know, it, it goes so much, it, it goes so much deeper than that. Uh, a, a good understanding of the patient's medical history, a good understanding of their family history before you go into what symptoms they are presenting with. Um, I find that because of that 15 minute consultation that you have to get through to put food on your table as a medical practitioner. Um, a lot of these things are just seen as there's a symptom, here's the Band-Aid, um, instead of going to look for the underlying condition and treating the underlying condition. Okay, that's the physical underlying conditions. What about the psychological underlying conditions. I'm thinking of PTSD, for instance. And I think, if I'm not wrong, and I don't have any facts, males suffer more from PTSD than females. And I think it's about the roles that they play and the feeling of insufficiency in our world today. You want to venture some? I, I'm, I'm going to let the, whether males or females have more PTSD. Look, I, I don't. I, I don't think I necessarily agree with that. I think that the, the, there's quite the PTSD. It depends on what the trauma was. So, for example, if men are the ones that are going out to war, the women are not seeing the war. So you see patients that that have come back from from wars, and and I, I talk to the Angolan wars, and that have a, a huge percentage of. Mm. Patients in their in their in their sixties and seventies talk about their time in the army, and that just by 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 derivation um, f from from who goes out to war kind of skewers it in in the men's side. I think from from women's point of view, they're dealing quite a lot with postpartum depression, with pregnancies, the hormone uh, changes during that period of time, and that obviously excludes men from that. So, and then the the adverse sexual abuse. Sexual abuse. Sexual abuse, and, uh, specifically in women, uh, specifically in their reproductive years. Yeah, and, and it's, it's actually shocked me since uh, qualifying from med school. I mean, they obviously mentioned these statistics to us in, in med school, but to actually come through and hear people talking about 
their sexual abuse and and to see how prevalent it is regardless of socioeconomic status uh you know these are your friends these are your family members these are people that uh, you know have have really had a really devastating traumatic experience that they're still holding on to and uh, and and haven't packaged and processed adequately and and that has a lingering effect on their mental health i i think <clears throat> what is safe to say is that you when you investigate um, you cannot separate physical and psychological. You have to put the two together to get to a working diagnosis. Yes. Um, the physical side will have effects on the psychological side and vice versa. Um, let's face it, at the moment with what is happening around us in the world. First, we had the COVID pandemic uh, with all the upheaval that went around it, the isolation, the um, economic uncertainty. And now suddenly we have two wars that is affecting Europe um, and the Middle East. And you know what? Even if you do not open a newspaper or hear a, a news report on the radio, you are being affected from a psychological po point of view by what is happening thousands of kilometers away. Um, and that adds to stress. Stress is cumulative, Sean. I don't know how, uh, how often you deal with burnout in men specifically in your practice where they just have been running on that hamster wheel um, that keeps on speeding up and suddenly they just, you know, like fall and they, and they spin. Um, and some points they spin off the edge and, you know, but then it's a free fall into complete adrenal shutdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking about this now, this sort of time of, of year. We were talking about the, the incidence of burnout, uh, you know, Christmas sort of just around the corner, the end of the year sort of just around the corner. And, um, and, and people feeling burnt out. They're physically exhausted. They're mentally exhausted. They're emotionally exhausted. And uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still four weeks away. So the, the cynicism that creeps in, that depersonalization, that going into robot mode, this is a massive uh, time of year for, for, for mental health. Um, and, and men come in sick. They come in, you know, they're, 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 they're burnt out, so their immune systems are weak. Mm. So we're seeing... We're seeing men that are unwell, and uh, again, you 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 you're not just treating the symptoms. You're not giving an antibiotic for, for, for you know, for for an infection. You got to delve down a little bit deeper and say, well, is there an underlying reason why your immune systems weaken? And very often, it's the emotional side of things. Very often, it's the the the, the depression and the anxiety and the burnout component that is weakening their immune system. So, if you delve a little bit deeper, you can actually help them sort out the underlying immune system dysfunction and improve their mental health at the same time. But, but how do men, how do you, what's the warning signs for me as, as are, are wife? Are you talking specifically about mental health warning Mental signs? health. How do you, or how do men present, and I'm not talking anxiety, irritability. Do they maybe take more alcohol? Yes. Or 100%. Yes. yes. So, 
Absolutely. Look, in, in my mind, alcohol is the worst drug on the planet. I think, you know, it's, it's not just socially acceptable, it's socially encouraged. And mm-hmm. this is coming from someone that likes to have uh, a, a glass or two of alcohol. Yeah, you're you know, so you're preaching to preaching the choir. To the choir. No, for sure. To give it to Kila and she's dancing <laughs> on the table. <laughs> and for those people that can control it and use it uh, as occasional use and moderate use and that, then that's fine. But people are now getting home from work on a Monday afternoon and in order to unwind, they're having half a bottle of wine. And yeah. so, so a huge problem is alcohol consumption and substance use. You know, the number of people that say I smoke a joint to help me go to bed at night because I'm anxious from a stressful work day mm. is massive, massive. Yeah. 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 Okay. We see that as well. Elise, I think warning signs. Yes. Change in any kind of behavior. Um, Increased alcohol use, absolutely. Um, aggression. Um, when men start getting mental health, unlike women, they tend to lash out. They become aggressive. Um, irritability, unfound irritability is an absolute warning sign that there's mental health. Women become emotional labile. Uh, in other words, they have... The crying episodes mm. um, where men become irritable and aggressive. Um, and then, you know what, definitely in change in sleep um, and I would say in sexual functioning. Okay. Yeah, um, for sure. And a lot of people become withdrawn. You know, they, they start withdrawing mm. from social events. Uh, you know, the, the it, it, these warning signs are very subtle. Mm. These warning signs, you, you, you have to be quite a tuner. And, and as a family member and as a friend, I think you need to keep an eye out for these these very subtle mm. warning signs. You know, the, the irritability in traffic, the lashing out at the taxis, like you say, from an, an aggression point of view, uh, decrease in libido, appetite changes. They're more hungry than they usually are or they're less hungry mm. than they usually mm. are. Mm. Uh, you know, they sort of express that they don't, have the normal joy that they would normally get from doing things like socializing with friends. You know, they, they're sort of ticking the boxes to get to tomorrow as opposed to actually finding joy in, in, in those events. So what do we do? You know what, I, I, I just want to add something on here. Um, the conversations that we are having with our patients in the practice when we stand at, at the reception often is about, you know, what we are peopled out. Mm. And I think that's a warning sign. You know what, when, when your reserves are so low that you do not want to see your friends or you do not want to engage in social events, I understand we tired. It's that last push until the end of the year. There's, a lot of us have to put in some extra hours, et cetera, et cetera. There's deadlines to be met. But when you get to that, I'm peopled out just Leave me alone. I just, I just want to be in my own space and quiet. I think, you know what, we can see that as a warning sign. Yeah, for sure. For me, the problem comes in when we think about it. Most of our patients are going on holiday around the 15th, 16th. And, um, you know, but they need to be back at work early in January. The holidays are too short. Mm to regenerate and fill the batteries again. I don't know if you pick up that by February, March, people, people are, are, are gone. 
No, they're gone. Sure. You know what? It's, it's like we're at the end of the year. It's just, it's too fast and it never slows down. Yeah. You pick up at the same pace. It's like starting a race where you have to jump mm-hmm. off a moving vehicle and run. And if, you, if your feet's not going fast enough, you're going to fall. Sure. I think that the important thing, though, is to create that lifestyle. I mean, it's a very, this is a human construct that we've got of 12 months. The last tiny bit of the year is a part where you're supposed to rest and recover. I don't think that that should be the case. I think that you should be finding that time in March, April, May, June, July to switch off and to recover as opposed to push yourself for five of seven days, which again is we've created this construct and then go straight out partying with friends on Friday and Saturday night, not getting the the adequate sleep that Mm. that you need. And you get to work on Monday already with a little mini burnout because you're now tired and exhausted from not actually having properly recovered from the weekend. And you did the alcohol and the dehydration. So you're playing onto your metabolic side as well. And so you're having these sort of uh, endocrine system changes Mm. on a weekly basis as opposed to creating – uh, moderation. You know, where is the where is the moderation in this? We're working too hard. We're not recovering enough. Well, you're not you're, you're not finding time for for balance. And I think it's trying to create that system of balance. I mean, Mark, in your practice, you're creating balance of an endocrine system. You're mm-hmm. creating balance of of hormones. But we should be creating balances and overall. And I think you know, I, I'd like to introduce you to a concept that I've really started introducing to my patients of the new silver bullet and and there is no such thing as a silver bullet you need to take that silver bullet and break it up into a thousand different lego pieces and that's the silver bullet the silver bullet is getting adequate sleep obviously that's number one let's let's see if we've incorporated it in our practice the same way as you tell us if we're missing anything um so we start with a good, healthy diet, which is difficult and bloody expensive. Yep. Let's face it. Absolutely. Physical exercise, sleep, and face that. Um, last week, unfortunately, Dr. Alison Bentley, I don't know if you work yes, with her. Yes, yes, from the sleep um, clinic. On the sleep clinic, yeah. We were to have her in here, and we always say, if you wake up in the morning and you are not refreshed, you have a sleep disorder sure, and, and you have to address it. So sleep. And then, you know what? It's that quiet time, the active de-stress where you try and get the voices out of your head. What do you guys put into your practice as well as part of managing stress and well-being? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we've spoken about the, from a blood test point of view, making sure that that's completely optimized first, because obviously if someone is iron deficient or their thyroid is out of sync, once we've corrected that, once we know that their vitamins and their hormones are, are adequately controlled, then we've spoken about the sleep, we've spoken about the exercise, we've spoken about the, 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 the switching off. And I don't think people realize that as a species, 10,000 years ago, the sun went down the melatonin yes. level went up, and here we are looking at our cell phones. So from a sleep hygiene point of view, we're having caffeine way too late in the day. There are a lot of people that are slow me- metabolizers of caffeine. They're having coffee well after midday, and they're still metabolizing it well into the early hours of the morning. Sister Elise actually last week 
was it last week? With, no, it, you, were, you were in the office where it's the 10 3 one, one yeah, rule or yeah, something like that. <laughs> but I so, can't remember everything now. So the 10, 10 hour thing is 10 hours before you go, go to, to bed, bed no you're caffeine. not, not yes, allowed to have no, caffeine. For sure. yeah. And so, how many of us actually go to dinner and have an espresso after? Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, in my case, it's actually uh, Irish coffee. So. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the, the other thing, I mean, if, uh, in the, the podcast like the Huberman Lab podcast and those sort of, they really introduce such interesting concepts like getting early morning exposure to sunlight. I mean, yes. how many yes. people actually, walking they get in their car, and walking outside and, and, and look at the lights. I mean, yeah. there's a disorder called seasonal affective disorder. I mean, basically, uh, that's what I get every time that I go to London. Yes, exactly. You know, people in, in, in the UK are... They're, they're, they're not happy during the winter. Time. They're not happy during winter. I mean, they're not getting the sunlight that they should be getting. So I think simple things like this, you know, we haven't even spoken about an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. And we've been chatting now for, for half an hour, I suppose. You know, I mean, we, we haven't even spoken about medication. These are simple things that, that people are not doing. They're expecting the silver bullet to be, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get a tablet and that tablet's going to take away my... I mean, this is if they even present with a mental health problem such as I'm feeling depressed, which we've spoken about them not doing very often, especially in, from a men's point of view. But if we can start just with these basic foundations and we can create these small little Lego pieces of the silver bullet and the, the bullet starts coming together with time. You know what, Sean, I, I, I fully agree with you. You know what, my my practice has now been running on the T-Clinic side for nine years. And it's only been in the last two, two years that we see men coming into the practice and volunteering to be there instead of being forced by their wife to go to the doctor for annual Etc. Etc. And I think it's because of the work that um, clinics like myself and yourself have done, creating awareness about health issues, not not just mental health, physical health, metabolic disease, weight, um, optimizing function, wellness. And therefore, quality of life. Instead of using your doctor as, I'm sick, I need a prescription for medication to make me feel better, um, where you walk in and you say, okay, help me now, or, or give me something to feel better. Instead of taking responsibility for your own health. In my practice, I ask my patients, do you, do you run a successful business? Are you successful in your job? And 99% says, yes, you know, but we can afford to come to you. So, yes, we, we're successful. And then I challenge them and I say to them, now, please, can you, can you run your health like you conduct your business? Yeah. Schedule the time. You schedule meetings. You schedule travel time, et cetera, et cetera. Can you please do that with your health? Take the time to exercise. And you know what? When it's exercise, it's not about getting fit. I tell my patients, I don't want you to go and exercise to get fit or strong. 
I want you to go and exercise to de-stress. And you know, it, it's, it seems like now that's starting to sink in. Sure. Yeah, I see that. You know, I think we, we, we're talking very much on a holistic basis here, but we have to also remember that there are a large percentage of people that come to see a primary care practitioner, whether that's uh, a nurse or a clinical associate or a general practitioner, if they're lucky enough to get into a psychiatrist or a psychologist, they go and see these that are really so depressed that they don't have the energy to actually get there. They, they, cannot get the, they cannot get out of bed. They physically cannot get out of bed. And so there's obviously a place for medication. There's obviously a place for bringing and pulling people out of the hole so that they're able to do these simple things that we've been discussing this morning. But I don't think that they should be relying 100% on medication or psychiatry or psychology to get them out. And I think it's really difficult to speak to someone. They come in and they say to you, Doc, I'm, I want to take my own life. I'm, I'm having dark thoughts. I, no matter what I try and rationalize and reason, I cannot actually physically and mentally and emotionally make it till tomorrow. And you want to go and tell them now that they must take vitamin D. And yes, of course, that's part of the process. So I think it's really important that we identify those people that are high at risk. We help pull them out of the hole and then we empower them and give them the tools to deal with their adverse childhood experiences, their, their traumas, their, you know, engage with a psychologist that they can trust or see a psychiatrist if that's what they'd like to do to manage their, their medication. But at the same time, then deal with their, uh, with them in, in a global and a holistic way. Okay. So seeing that it's men's health month, um, in our recent podcasts, we've explored some of the male cancers, prostate cancer. We've explored erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we've done a little bit of uh, vanity stuff mm-hmm. like aesthetics and penis augmentations. But I think one of the things that we haven't addressed is – the metabolic side of stuff. And here I'm thinking specifically about obesity, the, the increase of obesity in men specifically. <clears throat> I'm Afrikaans. My, my, my brother stays in Limpopo um, and my brother-in-law stays on um, the far west rand on a farm. So, you know, it's farming communities. And I remember I grew up in a farming community and you never saw a fat farmer. They were working out on uh, on the farm. They were physically active. And then, you know, what? on Wednesdays and Saturdays, they played golf. But if I go, for instance, to a music festival or a, 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 a holiday resort, I look around me and I see the state of today's young guys. And when I say young guys, I'm talking 20 to 40. And 80% of them have a gut. 80% of them are not only overweight, but obese. And we know that obesity is associated with uh, increase in heart attacks and strokes. 
diabetes, cancer, sleep disorders. But this also must have an effect on self-esteem deep down, even if I don't want to admit it. And then anxiety and depression and how other people perceive them. What, what do you think about this in, in specifically certain community types? Some people, black men, is it uh, uh, traditionally black women were preferred to be bigger because yes. it spoke to health and um, wealth? Yes, and being taken care of. And for men? Um, Is I it think, the same thing? Um, no, I think as you get older, so when for the younger men, that's not necessarily looked at. But I think uh, as as men get older, um, the the bigger he does get, the bigger the pockets, um, and so that's an indicator of how wealthy he is. Um, in, in, in some regard. Um, but it's also not a thing of like him being unhealthy. It's just almost like the dad bod is kind of like, oh, okay, you've, you, you're now settled in life. You, you're not yeah, worried but, about You know, but there's bills. a difference. I have a dad bod. Yeah, but it's, it's very, it's, 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 it's a different thing. Like when you're 30 something and you have a dad bod compared to a 22 year old who has a dad bod, like 30 something, 40, it means you've, you know, you're paying your bills, <laughs> you, you've lived a life, you, you're settled, you're making enough money to sustain that. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> so, you know what, I actually think it's, it, it's, it's wrong. I actually think to sustain a healthy body and a healthy weight is far more expensive. Sure, but that's not the And perception. takes far more hard work. I mean, the perception is you can afford to go out and you can afford to live a lavish life. Therefore, you look the way you do. It's, it's, it's like this obsession with like why South Africans love brands. It's the fact that you can afford that brand more than anything. Um, it doesn't mean that... Uh, it's good for you. It's good for, for you, your pocket, or, for or, your pocket or if you're spending wisely or if you actually have that money. It's just the perception of... You look like that because you can afford to look like that. Mm, you know, and I believe to Mr. Presale, A.C. Comins. It's, so, it's like the girls in the office say, show me the money. Mm. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. So metabolic disease in men. Um, and metabolic disease, we know metabolic disease starts with insulin resistance. And then, obviously, there's the uh, dysfunctional um, lipocytes or your fat cells, which leads to changes in your cholesterol. But, you know what, I don't think men take enough care to do these screening tests. Elise, can you remember the um, 10-point screenings that we spoke about for men? I do remember, yes. So, um, between you and Dr. Thornley, um, Sean, which screening tests do you tell men to do and how often? So, I, 
when I see my patients, I bring them in. We do a physical examination for them. So we, we're, doing, we're doing height. We're doing weight. We're doing waist circumference. So just the, the anthropometry of a patient gives you an, an indication. Now, not all patients that are overweight or have a high BMI, and I'm not a big fan of BMI in general. No, but we, we don't like we, we don't like BMI. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, there are Patients that are un, that are normal weight or normal BMI that still have metabolic syndrome. There are also patients that might be overweight, according to what the the, the 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 numbers say, and not have any metabolic disease. For example, yeah, I so, hate those people. <laughs> they're lucky. Um, yeah. You know, with my, my they've really made it. My sister-in-law's like that. She's got a a, a, a big BMI. But you know what? Normal glucose, normal cholesterol, normal blood pressure. Yeah. You know, she's as healthy as an ox. Exactly. Um, you know what? She's just overweight. Exactly. It's unfair. And then we obviously do a full lipogram for them. So we do total cholesterol, LDL, uh, HDL, triglycerides, and the ratios of those, the non-HDL cholesterol. So you do a cholesterol screening yes we do a sugar screening and insulin screening we do a uric acid screening uric acid why do you do a uric acid screen uric acid is not only the gout marker and the kidney stone marker as much as i love the patient's big toes i find that a high uric acid level is an independent risk factor for heart disease on its own yes because it's a it's a inflammatory it's an inflammatory marker for sure Um, We do their hormones, so uh, testosterone level in men and women. Uh, I don't always do estrogen and progesterone for women, although that is important. Um, We we check their – we spoke about sugar. We we spoke about insulin. We spoke about uric acid. Um, Yeah, I think that's the – So those are your general practice patients, and you do that for them once a year? Once a year, yes. I do a high-sensitive CRP. It's one of my For favorite blood tests. Markers. So if 0 to 1 is, is generally considered a, a lower mm. risk of cardiovascular disease. So okay. I use a high-sensitive CRT routinely. I do an iron profile routinely because iron deficiency but also iron overload are massive, massive contributors to a patient's well-being. A lot of people don't realize that iron overload – as in a high ferritin with a high iron levels can actually cause a drop in testosterone levels. Absolutely, it, can it cause, binds to testosterone. Exactly, and causes a dysfunction of the pituitary gland, mm. which can cause infertility in a lot of men. So I try and regulate my patient's iron in a very tightly narrow band. Um, obviously, so for your patients function, with uh, iron overload, not necessarily hemochromatosis, you yeah. suggest... Um, <clears throat> the venous sections, well, I presume. I, I suggest treating the cause as to why they're iron overloaded. It's not necessarily the fact that they're eating too much meat. For example, uh, alcohol um, abuse can cause a high ferritin and can cause, obviously we speak about the fatty liver or the non-alcohol fatty liver or NASH that we talk about with with uh, um, with the liver. But um, inflammation in general causes a high ferritin. So you yeah. shouldn't just be venesecting them if the cause, the underlying cause is... Um, if the underlying cause is, is uh, alcohol, for example, you, you get them to reduce their alcohol. If it's an inflammatory problem, you get them to reduce the inflammation from from diet, for example. So, mm. yes, if they're iron overloaded and you're managing their, then I try and uh, uh, offload a unit of blood for them or get them to become regular blood donors to try and tightly regulate their iron, which is mm. quite important. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think 
Those are your yearly screening tests. Uh, in our practice, we do them as standard when you present to the practice, yes, yeah. all of those. So do we, um, yeah. But, you know, but there's other screening tests as well, which I think men neglect. There's something that we picked up that men were, specifically men were unaware of, is blood pressure. Oh, so yes, men yeah. don't test their blood they pressure. Yeah. And you know what? What we tell our patients, and guys, please listen to this. A single blood pressure screening when you're sitting at your doctor tells us absolutely nothing. Yep. White coat hypertension. Um, and you know what? You need to do serial blood pressure sure. screenings. So um, three times a day. I, I tell my patients, do it first thing in the morning. After your workday, I want to know how much of your stress, et cetera, et cetera, is what the effect is on, on your blood pressure because yeah. it can be dramatic. And then at nighttime before you go to sleep, and you do that for a week, and you know what, then we look at the trend. Normal blood pressure for men should be below 135 and below 85 as a diastolic measurement. The moment that we go above that, you know what, you're in a very gray area. Oh. Um, at one point, the um, heart associations lowered the blood pressure to a normal blood pressure of 130 over 85. Yeah. And the moment that you were above it, you had stage one hypertension. But they reversed that. It's now again 140 over 90. Yeah. moment you're above it. And, you know, what? If, if you were vacillating between those um, with spikes above, you know what, you need to be looked at. You know, what? this is something that you can address because it causes damage to the kidneys, it causes da damage to the retinas, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Some of the other screening tests, one that um, is controversial, and I don't know whether you find this as well, Sean, it's PSA, prostate screening antigen or prostate-specific antigen. Um, we know, and the last time that we spoke about it, I forgot to tell, give a statistic. Normal PSA is considered somewhere between 0 0.5 and 4. Do you agree? Yeah. Now, 10% of men with prostate cancer will have a PSA of below 1. Yeah. 25% of men with prostate cancer will have a prostate PSA below 4. And the moment that you go above 4, 50% of those patients have cancer. Yeah. And so often we see it in the practice where it's been high for a while. I see it on the blood test that the GPs have done without any investigation. Now, the controversy comes in that there's – this disparity in um, population groups who have access to these tests and who don't. So it's not recognized as a, a screening test for men. But you know what? If you can afford it, mm. you do serial PSAs, maybe once a year. Do you yeah. agree? Mark, I also think, though, that, that I'm sure you've seen it in your practice as well. If you do a PSA for a patient and it's sitting at three, for example, and then you, you manage their metabolic dysfunction and it you comes get the, down. It, it comes down. Especially with testosterone. Yeah. 
Testosterone, and if you manage your cholesterol, it comes down. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So, I mean, you, you, you're using that as a surrogate marker. I think every single patient in my practice, male or female, regardless of their, okay, obviously not children, but regardless of their age, I ask them about their sexual health. I ask them about their, their intimate relationships, and mm. I ask them if they have any problems. So, I mean, Doc Cock, uh, the legend, <laughs> legendary, uh, Doc Cock. legendary, legendary, uh, Urology lecturer at uh, at Pretoria. Pretoria. And, um, is he still lecturing? I think he's actually stopped now. And yeah. uh, you know, but he was there in my days. Oh, so that's thirty years ago. Amazing. I mean, he so, spoke about and my days. In your days, forty years ago. ED, so we all went through him. He said, "Ed equals ed equals ed equals ed equals ed." So a patient comes in with erectile dysfunction, and you have to say to them, "Well." Erectile dysfunction equals endothelial dysfunction. That's your blood vessel lining. And that equals early detection and that equals exercise, diet and drugs and that equals the prevention of early death. And I think with this today's conversation, I want to add in emotional dysregulation to that. So if we absolutely. can bring in emotional oh, dysfunction that, yeah. to that. We'll Ab- absolutely. Yes. You know what? When we talk about erectile dysfunction, we always say changes in erections is the first sign of underlying disease yeah, and it's get... usually cardiovascular exactly. or diabetes so a patient comes in and they say to me i'm struggling with erections i first try and 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 tease out whether or not there's a psychological component to this or a relationship component to it of course and obviously a physical examination but also to inform the patient that this might be the first sign of your heart attack in 10 years' time. Yes, absolutely. I do agree with you. The problem that I think we are faced with is men still are not comfortable um, opening a conversation with their doctor about erectile dysfunction or sexual. I, I like to call it sexual dysfunction because so often men can have erections, but when they get confronted with a sexual situation, they battle. So I, I want to call psychological erectile dysfunction is far more prevalent mm. than actual erectile dysfunction. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you have a female GP, you don't start that conversation. You might throw in or even with, a, you know, with my patients would, would say after I did, uh, you know, a cold and flu or something like that, or a general checkup. Doctor, can I have a prescription for Viagra? Um, Instead of starting, you know what, I'm actually battling with um, keeping or maintaining an erection. Sure. Um, What can I do? They don't start with that one. I, I, I see that we're very fast getting to the end of this program. So, Sean, before I ask you where patients can knock on your door, I want to just illustrate something. So many of our patients are battling with psychological issues. And for men, one of the biggest reasons they do not want to take uh, antidepressants or anxiolytics is the effect that they have on sexual function. Sexual, yeah, absolutely. We know that it suppresses libido. We know that it has a negative effect on erectile strength. But guys, please listen to this. If you are on that medication, you can very, very successfully augment 
not only the effect of a medication, but the side effects with optimal hormone balancing when it comes to testosterone and estrogen, as well as your thyroid. If, if you bring balance back to the sex hormones and the other metabolic states, not only does the medication that you are taking for your mental health disorder work better at lower doses, but they have less side effects. And we can take the side effects away without having to stop the medication by optimizing uh, your, maybe your testosterone levels. But please do not do this on your own. Yeah, I think uh, sort of a couple of takeaway messages is that I think mental health uh, problems in men, but also obviously, I mean, it's men's health month here in men, but but in the population in general is massive, especially post-COVID. I think one in three people is struggling at the moment, and that might be you, that might be your family, that might be your friends. I think we need to be open and honest and don't feel a stigma attached to this. Uh, reach out reach out to someone, reach out for, for help, outsource your mental health. Please don't try and do this on your own. Get, get some help. Um, let's add to that um, some of the signs and symptoms that we look out for in our friends and in our family um, when it comes to men specifically, changes in behavior, whether it's uh, irritability, aggression, um, withdrawal, yeah. uh, isolation, sexual dysfunction, sleep changes, uh, sleep yeah. changes. Please be on the lookout for them. Um, manage your metabolic state. Actually, do your yearly visit to your GP. Have a look at blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar levels. Look a look. Take a look at your waist circumference. That's the first sign of metabolic disease. Uh, mm. Waist circumference above one hundred and two centimeters. Um, is usually as, well, is associated with metabolic disease. Um, be active. And you know what? I think the biggest thing for all of us is find ways of d- dealing with stress. And in my practice, what I suggest for people do is do a team sport. You know what? You're out with mates. Um, you, you're having physical exercise. You have a laugh. You have a drink afterwards. Make sure that it's water, not yeah. whiskey. <laughs> no, actually, maybe a whiskey. Um, and you know what? Get proper sleep. Yeah. Sean, um, you deal specifically with depression and anxiety, and you work a lot with ketamine infusions, which is really effective if done correctly by someone who is trained. Now, you have a diploma in anesthetics. Uh, You've been dealing with us. You were one of the first clinics that opened. Um, You're based in four ways. Give us some information about patients and how they can contact you uh, should they wish to come and see you. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I'd say about 70% of my practice is general practice. Uh, We've spoken about the metabolic health. I do have an interest in mental health. I work closely with psychiatrists and with psychologists. um, And we're based in four ways. And we we have an interest, you know, we we, we do ketamine infusion therapy for our patients as a psychiatrist and psychologist referral basis clinic uh, in a very safe uh, way that's usually for treatment-resistant depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic pain conditions, etc. But this is very much done as a holistic approach. We're not just accepting patients 
um, that are not prepared to do the hard work that we've spoken about today. This is, as I spoke about, it's one of the, the pieces of the silver bullet, one of the small pieces of the silver bullet. And I think people are going out there, they're doing all their research now into psychedelics and magic mushrooms and ketamine, and they're not prepared to do all of the other thousand pieces of that silver bullet. So, yes, we offer a service to help people, but it's very much in conjunction, a collaborative effort between healthcare practitioners and providers such as yourself, Mark. Yeah, and I think patients need to understand that they have to take responsibility and accountability for their own health. And if, you know what, uh, that's one of the things that we managed to get across today. I think we've done well. Sean, um, contact details for you. What's the easiest to get hold of your practice? Thanks very much. It's uh, takecareclinic.co.za is the website, and they'll find all the information there as to how they can get hold Take of us. Take care. TakeCareClinic.co.za. That's great. So, you know what, that brings us to the end of today's show. Um, Next week, we'll be back. What's next week's date? The 24th? No, 23rd. It's the 16th, 23rd. 23rd. Thursday. Like like <laughs> usual, I have no idea what we're talking about no, no, next week. I thought we had the thirtieth already. It feels like that. I know that we're doing aesthetics on the thirtieth. I have no idea what we're doing next week. Okay, so it will be a surprise. We'll let you know on social media. If you want to know more about what we spoke about today, for guys, you know what um, the tea clinic is available in Bryanston. Our website is www.theclinic.com and you can research us on 010-824-1393. Sean, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, It was very enlightening. I think at some point we need to have you back, um, maybe with one of the psychologists, and let's talk uh, a little bit more about mental health, how we can treat it, and um, support structures for our patients uh, when they suffer with this debilitating condition. Yeah, well, thank you to you from the Tea Clinic and from Cliff Central for having me on the show. It's been really great. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Until next week, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.